Hey, Billy, I'm wondering, have you been looking for a way to get better as a coach? Uh, always. That's good because you could do it by using GMS Plus. It's a great resource for courses, drills, stats, videos, tips, and much more. Many of the game's winningest coaches and players, including Heather Olmstead, Keegan Cook, John Spira, Mike Wall, and Courtney Thompson, have used it or are a part of it. They're also actually have been former guests, so you know they're good. Personally, I've learned a lot from Gold Medal Squared, as have many of our guests. So if you're looking to win a state championship or an Olympic gold medal, GMS Plus will help you get there. Get 20% off an annual subscription today. Go to goldmedalsquared.com backslash CYBO and enter CYBO. That's goldmedalsquared.com slash CYBO and enter coupon code CYBO. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. Today, we're excited to have Lauren Anderson, coach, consultant, adventurer. Um, thanks for coming back. We had you a number of years ago, so thanks for returning. Uh, yeah, it has been a while. I don't remember exactly, but I think I was one of your guys' first uh, maybe 30 uh, people you had on or something like that. Um, it's been a long time since, learned a lot, forgotten a lot. So, <laughs> so have we. that's the point. Yeah. Coach your brains out. They, <laughs> that's they right. Yeah. right out. <laughs> uh, so when we first interviewed you, I know you had brought up the term ecological dynamics and I'd never heard of it. Um, I guess, how far were you into your journey with EcoD back then? Um, I was pretty much right on the tip of it. Um, you know, I was the... I was the iceberg flight floating in the water. You, I, I was standing on the tip, but there was a whole lot underneath that I hadn't even explored yet. And that podcast we did where I really kind of dove into the concept of decision, the decision-making model um, or decision-making theory. Um, Joan Vickers, I think is who it was. Um, I don't think she would say her ideas then were based on ecological dynamics, but I think that they, they, they had a lot in common that led, then led me, as I was diving into those ideas, led me into pursuing more of the, the, I don't know, the scholarly work and the research and even just talking to coaches who were in other sports um, who were using those concepts. So. And what first took you down that path? And I guess also, like, what has kept you on it? Yeah, taking me down that path. Um, so at one point in my volleyball career, before I started my club in, in Idaho, um, I ran a business just doing private lessons. Um, I would do, during the summer, I would do like nine or 10 private lessons a day. Um, and in the winter and, you know, really kind of dependent. It was before high school tryouts or before club tryouts. I was super busy during club season. I would do maybe 10 or 15 a week. Um, and I had a really good relationship with all the kids that I was doing these private lessons with. I tried really hard to go and watch them play and take notes so that I could know what to work on in their next lesson with me and all this stuff. And what I found was, I was just not seeing much of what we were doing in these private lessons transferring into their play. And I was getting pretty frustrated with it. I was getting to the point where I was like, 
really questioning my efficacy as a coach. Like I pretty much blame myself. Like we're going over this stuff sometimes two to three times a week with some of these kids. And it just wasn't showing up when they were playing the game. And I was really starting to question like, what are we do? Am I doing this wrong? Am I, what's going on here? So I think that was really what first started me looking for, for answers. And then there was a few other things in there. I, I, to secure some space for my volleyball club, I would, I agreed to be a basketball coach. Um, and I had never really, I'd played in high school, but I'd never really coached it. And the team I was coaching was a charter school, bunch of kids who are super smart, but not very athletic. And, you know, one of our games that first year I was coaching, we lost, it was, uh, sixth, seventh and eighth graders. And one of the games we lost, I think it was 75 to two, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was the worst loss I've ever experienced in my life as an athlete or as a coach. And I was like, okay, I have these kids who really want to be good at basketball, but are so far behind their peers at uh, these other schools. You know, we were playing schools that are like little mountain town, Idaho schools, where all those kids do all year long is go to the gym and play basketball. And these kids, what do they do all year long? Year long, They're like on the computer learning rocket science and stuff. Like, you know, how can I bridge the gap even a little? Like I wasn't looking to beat these teams. I just wanted it to be like 75 to 30 or something instead <laughs> of two. And so I really started looking around for options on how to increase the learning rate, how to make a more efficient practice environment. And I came across the work of Brian McCormick. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him. Um, he's basically the John Kessel of basketball, I would say. It's probably the easy way to put it. Um, we've been promoting for years the use of small-sided games and constraints within the game of basketball. Um, and I came across his a couple of his books, Bottom, and it just, it really clicked with me. I mean, probably because it was kind of, my journey of volleyball. That's how I learned volleyball. I never really had a coach. I just played a lot. And it just seemed, it, it seemed like, okay, worst thing, worst case scenario, we lose 75 two again. Like (laughs) how does it get worse? It can't. So let's give this a shot. And so I bought into that for a year with the, with the, this basketball group, both girls and guys. And uh, long story short, the next season when we were playing, it was actually when we played that same team that had beaten us 75 to two the year before. And we pretty much had the exact same people on our team. I think they were minus one person from the year before on their team. And the score was like 55 to 42. Well, and I was like, and it was more than the score. It was watching them play like they knew how to play basketball. And they were running plays and they were just like playing instead of just running around after the guy with the ball. Like the first year was kind of like watching little kids soccer where everybody just follows the ball. Um, And so, you know, and then that just really made me think, okay, I'm onto something here. And can I start using these principles and ideas in the game of volleyball? And as I coach, and because at that time in volleyball wise, I was very much the, what you would call an old school coach and in the activities that I used um, I would say a lot more of the Asian influence where it was, you know, a lot more perfect technique, drill based stuff. Um, You know, you get to play at the end. If I think you did well through everything else, 
Um, and, you know, kind of very much based on like the sports performance of volleyball club methodology that yeah. is kind of promulgated throughout the North, the Eastern and, uh, Midwest of the United States. Um, and so then I started just dabbling in that a little bit, throwing in some of these small sided games, trying some things out and just saw what I felt was pretty amazing results. So it really only took me like a year to get to a point where I was like, I'm all in on this now in volleyball. Like we're just going pretty much 100% into this idea. At the time, I didn't know what to call it. I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know what it was part of. Um, and then over time, as I continued to connect with people, I learned about this ecological dynamics approach to coaching and the constraints led approach and nonlinear pedagogy and, you know, found names for it, which helped me connect with more people, helped me find books to further my reading, find research papers to help me understand the theory behind it more, which did help me um, uh, just kind of consolidate my thought process a little bit more and to just, I don't know, streamline my thoughts about it and try to be a little bit more deliberate about what I was doing as a coach instead of like, hey, this looks like it could work. Let's try this, you know? Mm -hmm. so. That's really cool. It's cool that you discovered it sort of naturally just and we're toying with it and then discovered there's a whole framework around it to help you guide you I, I, and it sounded like you got some good feedback that showed you okay there's something here I'm onto something I'm curious along this journey have you had any moments of like am I going down the wrong path should I go you know I'd done things before that it worked or the things that you were like questioning with the ecological approach for sure I mean yeah 100% because you you look around the corner i mean not necessarily literal corner but you look at another club somewhere else who's using very much the uh blocked training methods the deconstruct the, the skill methods um even some of the more old school methods of motivation and punishment and all those things and you see the kids that are coming out of those programs and you're like wow these kids are amazing volleyball players and I'm not, those kind of kids aren't coming out of my program is, am I doing, am I missing something? Um, and so that, yeah, I mean, that's part of it. Um, you know, the old proof is in the pudding. I mean, rise volleyball Academy that I owned for years in the Boise area has never been a national powerhouse. So it's like, we can't claim that these ideas can turn a club into a national powerhouse because they didn't for me. And I'm probably one of probably I'm the only club that I know of in the country that is a hunt that went hundred percent in on these ideas. And so, I mean, I've had other people reach out with similar concepts, but nobody has went as far down the rabbit hole with it as I did. And, you know, maybe that's part of it's on me for not being uh, not, doing it well enough maybe i'm not maybe i'm doing ecological dynamics but i'm not doing it really well so maybe it's not the eco deep's fault and the, the framework's fault maybe it's me not understanding it well enough because i'm not i'm not an academic i'm not i don't have a degree in anything other than playing too much volleyball um you know i so it's like i do think there's a lot of the concepts that i don't fully 100% grasp that when I do talk to people who are both academics and practitioners who have a much richer background in the area, 
um, they seem to be way more uh, fluent in how to use this how to use this uh, realm when they're coaching. And that's just something that I've continued to try to bridge that gap in my own learning and stuff as well. So, but yeah, short answer for sure. There's been plenty of times where I've questioned whether or not, whether or not, and, and I guess it's tough because you got to define the goal too. Like what is the goal of doing it? If the goal is to create an environment where kids feel safe, seen, heard, and have fun and get better at volleyball, then I would never question that we did the right thing in moving to that. If the goal is to create the cookie cutter D1 pin hitter that can go play at Oregon or at Penn State or at Pepperdine or wherever, um, not that they're cookie cutter is probably not the right term, but uh, the ideal, like that prototype, um, then I'm not sure that we would we would ever have done that. Do you, do you think if you had approached your club with more, yeah, the just traditional approach, which I don't think clubs traditionally even use an informational processing approach. It's, I don't know, kind of, there's stuff all, <laughs> all over the map. But do you think if you had approached it more traditionally, do you think you would have had more wins? And I know that's not how you define success, but do you think right. your teams yes. would have won more? Yes, I do. Why is that? Uh, because when the coach steps in to solve all the problems, you can, you can win more. Um, you know, when the coach is the one directing traffic, you, you know, so uh, I've used an analogy on the podcast that you guys uh, referred to with, I did with BJ talking about teaching your kid to cross a street, cross a busy street. You know, if you, if you hold the kid's hand and do it with them or for them, they're going to get across the street every single time, uh, just fine. Um, but if you stand on the sidewalk and encourage them to try it on their own, there's going to be some possibly scary moments. Uh, and so I do think that, uh, I think we would have had more success on the win column. I think we probably would have had more parent buy-in because we were doing something that seemed more what they had in their mind visualized as what coaching is supposed to be. And when you get more parent buy-in, you tend to get the kids more bought in a little bit, not all the time, but sometimes, um, you know, it was a very big thing within the community where my club was that they don't really, there was a lot of people saying they don't really coach over there. They just play the game. And uh, which is pretty, very, pretty much the opposite of the actual truth, but I can understand where they came up with that idea. And so it's, it's hard. It, I could certainly argue it, but it's not really worth it because they're not going to understand the argument anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's tough. And we'll get into some of the pushback and some of the practical examples of the benefits of using this. But I guess before we get into it, can you explain um, the difference between <laughs> ecological dynamics and maybe the more traditional way of coaching we've, we've heard? Yeah. Anybody want to set a timer? Uh, <laughs> um, easy so, question. Yeah. Easy question. No, I mean, this, that people have written books on this, so it's certainly not, it's certainly something that could go on forever. My favorite explanation for people right now comes from Rob Gray, who's a professor at Arizona state. He works with baseball. He actually just got hired on as a 
sports scientist and movement specialist for the Chicago, uh, I don't know, but I Boston don't know. Red Sox. Boston Red, Red Sox. Sox. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the Red Sox. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he wrote a book called How We Learn to Move. He just came out with a new book called Optimizing Movement, I think is what it's called. And he just has a really good way of explaining things sometimes, not always, sometimes in a simplified way that um, at least I get. <laughs> and then I can kind of try to simplify it even more for the people that I'm talking to. And um, his, his approach to explaining the difference between informational processing versus ecological dynamics and as a framework that we use to base our coaching on um, is to start with the concept of variability and to look at um, how variability is used in practice. And in both approaches, in every approach, doesn't matter, in, in the no approach approach, right? Everybody wants variability to be small in the outcome, right? If you're teaching somebody how to serve, if you're teaching a team how to run a play, if you are just playing the game, you want the variability to be low in the outcome. You want the ball to go where you want it to go as often as possible. And that's low variability. You want the team, you know, you want your passer to be able to pass the ball to a small target area. You want your hitter to be able to hit the spot they're aiming for. So that there's low variability in the outcome. And that's the same, no matter what the coaching method you use is that's all of our goals is to less, to bring the level of outcome variability down so that we can have more success on the court or whatever sport you're playing. The difference is how we achieve that. Um, in the traditional approach, um, the, uh, to get outcome variability to be low, it's believed that you have to have your movement variability low, whether it be in practice or in a competition. So if you have someone who is trying to serve to area one, um, most people are taught that you want to reduce the variability of your movements and do the exact same movement every single time in order to get the exact same outcome. Um, you know, and there are uh, organizations around this country, in fact, one that owns a podcast that I've heard of that promote this idea pretty, pretty regularly um, to all their coaches. Um, and so, you know, you said earlier that not sure if anybody actually runs an information processing based practice. I think all traditional coaching is some is pretty much based on the informational processing ideas. It's just nobody really knows that term. They're not, Hey, I'm an informational processing coach. It's just that approach to learning is embedded in our culture. The informational processing route of learning of the idea of motor programs of muscle memory, all these things that is such an ingrained part of our culture that that's just coaching. And then ecological dynamics is the new kid on the block. So it's the challenge or it's the thing that we're doing differently. Um, so, you know, so we want low outcome variability to do that. We use, we teach people to have low movement variability. And we do that through practice activities that have low variability. So, you know, if you want a kid to 
create a motor program for their serve so they can have low variability when they're serving to area one, then the kids got to serve a bunch of times to create that, to have that, to learn the, to, to have low variability in their movement in order to have low variability in their outcome. That's the informational processing concept in a nutshell. It can be applied at the individual level or the team level as well. Um, whereas the ecological dynamics or nonlinear um, approach to this um, is same exact outcome is what we want. We want low variability. However, um, in the ecological dynamics approach, we get low variability outcomes by encouraging high variabilities of movement because there's not one way to get the same outcome. There's multiple ways to get the same outcome. And so we want kids to explore those multiple ways of achieving that same outcome. And that's that concept that I'm, I know you guys have heard on here. You've had people like Casey and all those others on here probably said it uh, repetition without repetition. And that's basically saying we want to repeat the outcome. We want to repeat the exact same outcome without repeating the exact same movement. Because that's what happens in the game. The set's never the same. The serve's never exactly the same. The the pass is never exactly the same. So now if I'm a setter and I'm trying to set my pin, I've got to figure out how to get the same outcome, the ball in that hitter's window, right where they want to hit it from. But I've got to do that with a lot of different movement variability because of how the ball comes to me differently. And the informational processing um, approach would say, what we're trying to create is adjustability that we are creating a motor program that is one right way of doing things. And we spend a lot of time creating that first. Then we add in a small bit of variability at a time so that the player can learn how to adjust this motor program to these levels of variability. You know, again, if we talk, think like a setter, we teach the setter footwork and their handwork first. We don't really play the game. We just teach them footwork, handwork, follow through, and where to set the ball. And then once we feel like they've mastered it, which is a topic altogether, like who, who feels like we've mastered it? Who's the gatekeeper of this expertise? It's usually some coach, right? It's not some objective or it's not some objective measure. It's a very subjective measure of, of expertise. Um, once they've reached this level of proficiency, then we say, okay, now they can play the game. We can add in some variability, but the whole role of variability in that case is to give them an opportunity to adjust that motor pattern they've learned. You know, if you think about uh, a setter who's had to learn a very specific way to move their feet before they set the ball. Well, now how can I move my feet that way on all these different passes instead of on the perfect pass? That's adjustability. Whereas in the ecological dynamics approach, we're not looking for adjustability, we're looking for adaptability. How can I adapt my movement? How can I completely change my movement to get the same goal that I'm, that I'm working towards? Um, that's it in a nutshell. I think that's the shortest. Well, well done. Yeah, I think you make uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Gray proud. <laughs> um, I mean, that's, it, it, it's pretty much a, 
his his words coming out of my mouth yeah, um, yeah. but i think it's uh it is one of the best ways that i found to help coaches understand the difference because there's a lot of theory there's a lot more to ecological dynamics sure. there's a lot more to information processing but when we can break it down to this one thing variability which is the one thing we all agree on mm-hmm. we want low variability in the outcome mm-hmm. how do we achieve that so then when we start talking about what well what do i need to change in my practice or what could i change in my practice that would allow me to achieve low variability in my outcome, but maybe incorporate more variability in the movements or in the activities we're doing. I think that's how, that's the only real way I've gotten any luck to get coaches to really listen about yeah. the opportunity, the opportunity they're leaving on the table by not incorporating these things into their practices. Yeah. And my, my pushback on representing like the informational processing side, not that I view it through that lens would be, especially when I look at, and I'm not around every club, but my daughter's playing in a club right now here in Southern California. When I look at typical volleyball practices, the specificity is very low and the amount of transfer, you know, it's very like, it's very deconstructed. So I don't feel like they're even representing and informational processing maybe from like the okay we're gonna get them to move how we want in this deconstructed way right like the transfer and the the game like reps are are very low that's where i feel like they're not really represent the traditional approach isn't necessarily uh yeah i would say that it was it would it's kind of like 1960s informational processing (laughs) maybe that's right you know but pre pre uh schema theory and you know, uh, right. all of that stuff when they really started making those breakthroughs about re- recognizing the role of specificity, the role of transfer I see. in the informational processing view of things, right? Um, because, I mean, if you go back, you can go back 150 years and you can see concepts about this informational processing idea. And really it's based on psychology, right? Like, ecological dynamics is how to use the concepts of ecological psychology and apply them to movement information processing isn't is a psychology psychology term it is a psychology it's how we taught and learned that our brains worked for since like the early 1800s and many people still think our brains work that way mm-hmm. um the people have who who are in the fields of ecological psychology are challenging that and saying that's not how our brains work that is not how we interact with our environment and then that's what's informing this this view of how to teach movement and coach sports um is it's really it's not a war of two different coaching styles it's a war of two different two different views of psychology Mm -hmm. of how our brain actually works yeah you know one saying we don't interact directly with our environment through our senses that there is a governor in our head who filters and determines and then presents what it filters and determines as important to our brain the other one saying we live in a world of direct perception. We are directly perceiving the world around us. Mm-hmm. And those then inform how we coach. Um, so if you are working on creating motor programs and perfect technique and 
that if you're teaching kids that there's a right way to respond to, there's one right way to respond to a stimulus, then you are, you are in the information processing camp. Mm. If you're teaching kids that everything we do is based on what we see and everything we see is based on what we do and that there's no right way that there's many ways and that you should explore those ways and find what works best for you and let your body self-organize based on the environment around you, then you're in the ecological dynamics camp. Hmm. I'm curious what, what pushback do you get when you're, you're explaining this? And I know you have a new role where you're going to start, you're going to be working with coaches and trying to implement this. And I guess in, in your old club, what, what was the pushback you'd get and how would you respond? I mean, the biggest pushback is this isn't the way I, it's been done. You know, the most dangerous words in the English language. This, this is the way we've always done things. Um, you know, I know one that I, very few people who are coaches today of the sport of volleyball learned volleyball this way. Um, you know, maybe there were elements of it, but not wholly, you know, I mean, I don't know that I've ever met anybody who's who had a coach growing up in volleyball who didn't didn't wasn't told at some point in time that there was that they had to learn the technique of how to pass. Right. Or the, the hitting technique or I have we have to work on your arm swing to ingrain it in your, you know, ingrain the movement pattern. Um, all of those things are things that most kids are taught. Most people were taught. By, by their PE teacher, by their early coaches in any sport, and definitely by their volleyball coaches. Um, and so that's the biggest, uh, that's the biggest pushback is why, why fix something that doesn't seem to be broke, right? Mm -hmm. We're all of these amazing players throughout the history of our sport have come out of this other traditional view, view version of coaching mm -hmm. what why are you changing why do you feel like there's a need to do it differently what's the you know this is the way it's always been done and people are obviously having success with it why not just continue to do it the same way and have the same success and how do you respond because i don't like to do things the same way other people do <laughs> <laughs> contrarian I am. I am by nature. I always have been. I've always looked for different solutions. I've never taken other people's word for as as gospel, right? Like, I want to find the answer that works for me. And really, I mean, that's just why the ecological dynamics approach resonated so much with me is because that is how I've learned everything in my life is through exploration, through finding my own path within that subject matter. And um, but as far as how do I answer them? Um, I mean, one, I stole from John Kessel, which is, you know, if you're a doctor and you're still practicing medicine the same way you were 10 years ago, you're going to get sued for malpractice. My uncle, who I just saw about three weeks ago up in Portland, he's a retired neurosurgeon. Um, and I've talked to him about this before. And he said, you know, as a neurosurgeon, if I'm still doing the same stuff I was six months ago, I'll probably get sued. Um, you know, we have to evolve in the way we're doing things based on the newest evidence that's coming out in front of us. And there is a lot of evidence that our bodies and our brains don't work the way that we've been taught. And, you know, with the 
advancing with uh, the way brain imaging and body imaging and the way we can map things better now and understand how the brain and the body communicate and the way the brain learns, there's a lot of evidence now that these ideas are antiquated and that they don't actually match up with what we now know is how people learn. And so if there's that evidence that's in front of us, why aren't you change, Why aren't you trying to incorporate it, right? Then, then why, you were saying how you would have been more successful at RISE, like if, if using ecological dynamics would be, you know, if there's more research showing that it's more effective, which I, I'm in that camp as well, then why do you think like at RISE, it, you feel like it wouldn't have been? Well, because again, every kid, I mean, think about your learning journey outside of volleyball. Every single one of us has gone through this same Cartesian dualistic information processing based learning pr process, whether it be in school, whether it be in other sports, whether it be how you learn to ride a bike or mm -hmm. drive a car, every single, that's our entire culture is in, is you know, washed over with this approach to learning. For sure. So when you come in and you try to show people like this is a different way to learn, it's hard for a lot of them. Some of them love it. I mean, I've had kids in the gym who are just like, this is, I wish every coach I've ever had was like this. You know, I wish my teachers at school did this, you know? Um, but so why do I think we would have had more success? Because we would have had to spend less time getting buy-in. And we would have had less people leave because they didn't buy in. And, you know, I mean, I've, it, it baffles me that we can create a safe, fun, effective learning environment and people will leave our club to go play for a club where their kids being abused every day, but because they're using techniques and coaching methods that they're familiar with, they'll leave them there, even though their kid comes home crying and hates volleyball after two or three years. And, and that, you know, that baffles me because it's like, at some point, it shouldn't even be about how are they learning volleyball? It should be about what's their experience every day in practice. What are they, are they coming home with a smile on their face or are they coming home with tears because they've been yelled at, screamed at and had to do butterfly for 95 minutes straight until their arms were bloody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I guess that's why I feel like, you can have both. Like, I think you can, and it sounds like if there would have been more buy-in from the community, from the culture uh, around your area, like you could have had people having great experiences and also getting that girl going to play at Oregon. Oh yeah. With, I, with, I mean, yeah. I just very strongly believe it is possible at both. I mean, we, the, I sold my club in August of 22. So a little over a year ago. And in last May, I went to watch to far westerns to watch um, the 18s team from the club that I was no longer the owner of play because out of the nine kids on the team, eight of those kids had been with my club since they were nine years old. So eight of those kids had bought in for their entire club volleyball journey. So 10 years of ecological dynamics influence coaching. And it was the one of the, my most favorite moments, man, watching those kids play. I mean, they won the top 18s division at Far Westerns, which was the first time a rise team's ever won a division anywhere. And those, they were just, you know, were they the best volleyball players in the gym? No, 
were they the best team in the gym that day? Yeah. And to me, that's really the, one of the biggest things that I love about using this approach is it, it makes it more about the team and more about the synergy that you're creating between teammates rather than making it about individual stars and individual accomplishments and individual ability. And, um, you know, and every single one of those eight players is off playing in college somewhere this year. And, you know, so it is absolutely hundred percent possible, but at the younger levels, especially, which is where the parents are club hopping the most, I think, at least in our area, they were, if you're not winning, they don't believe in your ability, in your, your approach. Whereas at the younger level for me, it was about the focus shouldn't be on winning. It should be on developing. It should be on, you know, there are a lot of choices we could have made differently that would have put winning first and player development second that we chose to not do, right? You could have your best server serve all the time. And at 14s, you might win a ton, but our job as club coaches, we're being paid to develop every, we're being paid the same amount by every family. So that means we have to develop every kid equally. So that means other people should get a chance to serve. And sometimes that best server or best hitter is going to be on the bench because there's other kids that are going to play. And I think that, you know, when most clubs, they put that win first. So if 13s at 12s, they're playing their starting lineup and there's a kid on the bench who doesn't even play. And it's like at 12s, 13s, 14s, why is that happening? To me, I don't understand that at all because now we've we've professionalized youth sports and we've made it something that it should never have been, which is it should always just be a fun game for kids to play, especially at that age level. Yeah. And it's hard as coaches sometimes to take the long view on player development. And, yes. And that's why it's so important to get that buy-in because I think once you get it, like you said, the, a lot of really good things could happen. So what we talked about maybe from other coaches, what about from the players themselves? Uh, especially, I know, comes up the idea of like players asking for more feedback. Um, right. So I guess, how do you handle that with them? Well, I think if players are asking for feedback, it's our job to give it right. Like it's that in the traditional approach, a lot of coaches give a ton of feedback when it's not asked for it's, They're just giving it. Right. And so, and really, I mean, I think we all know that at some point in time, players start tuning coaches out. You know, they, they get so much feedback that it just starts to disappear, right? And in their mind, they just don't hear it anymore. And so for me, it's, if a kid comes to me and says, I want more feedback, cool, I'll give you more feedback because you're open to it. You want it. Um, so I don't have a problem with that at all. I think it's part of the process, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to be telling them how to do it. That's not the only way to give feedback you can be asking questions you can be guiding their attention you can be asking for their input right so it can be better than just here's how to do this right right giving them the answer every single time but you can give a lot of feedback that fits within the ecological dynamics approach without you know, so I think we can meet the kids where they want to be. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And and feedback can be, mean so much more than just verbal prescriptive instruction, right? It can yes. 
it can be getting them to learn, you know, all the rich feedback that's in the environment as well. So yeah, I agree if if they ask for it, it's great. I think that's a real good point. You know, that's one of the first conversations I have with kids is I'm not the only source of feedback on this team. I'm not the only source of feedback in this gym. You know, the probably the richest source of feedback in this entire gym for you is you. Right. And right. I love getting kids. I love, I just asked the team I'm coaching yesterday about this exact topic. I was like, what are some other forms of feedback besides just me in here? And one of the kids, I, and I haven't, talked about this stuff at all with them yet so it wasn't like they already heard this from me but one of the kids goes the outcome is my feedback and I was like you're my favorite player on the team right now (laughs) like you know that's the answer that I really want to hear is that you are in you're going to learn from the outcome of your action on the ball more than you're going to learn from anything I could tell you and sure if you need some help with that if you want feedback and which is the other thing I told him yesterday if I'm not giving you feedback in something that you feel you need feedback in, ask. That's, I'm here to help. But I warned him. I said, I'm not going to tell you the answer. I'm going to have a conversation with you so that we can, we can come up with a solution together that works for you. Because I'm, you know, I'm a six foot two, 48 year old guy who's been playing for 35 years. My solution is probably going to differ from yours when you're a five foot five girl who's been playing volleyball for two years. Like, is my solution going to work for you? It really shouldn't, to be honest with you. So we need to find a solution that works for you. And that's going to come from you, but I'm going to help you find that solution. So, so I don't think there's anything wrong with kids asking for more feedback. Yeah. And then something I heard you talk about that I really liked when you're on BJ's podcast, you talked about when you were maybe having discussions, giving you know, feedback, you had principles of movement versus, you know, prescriptive right foot here, left foot there. Could you, could you go into that a little bit more? Uh, Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, honestly, I think the terminology of that is something I learned from GMS, right? Like this concept that principles are more powerful than rules. Um, You know, that's the D Hawk, I think quote that is always presented at GMS clinics or whatever. And Um, but it's that idea that can we come up with some externally focused principles that are going to help guide you through your movement while you're making the movement rather than prescriptive rules. So, you know, like be balanced. That's a great principle. It's not a rule. There's how do you, how do you measure be balanced? Right. But if you ask a kid, did you feel balanced there? And they're like, nah, I was, you know, like if it's defense, you know, are you stopped and balanced? That to me is a great principle on defense. If you ask where you stopped and balanced, they can be like, "Uh, no, I was, I guessed I started moving to my left. Okay. All right. Well, it's just something to work on. Right. So, you know, and I think those, you can find those principles of play within, you can, you can have them for every movement. You can also have them for team dynamics too, you know, like, um, when covering uh, your hitter, the center of gravity should be where the ball is. The center of gravity of your team should be where the ball is. So, you know, that's a great principle of play that helps kids understand what they're trying to do when they're covering. Instead of saying, you stand there and you stand there and you stand there. Very prescriptive. No exploration involved whatsoever. No autonomy involved whatsoever. 